looking at what does it look like for us to experience uh, strength in all the areas of our life, to have stronger relationships, to have a stronger faith, to have a stronger emotional life, to have a stronger connection with other people, with God, with, with, uh, with all the different things that we desire to have in our life. And so we're looking at a letter in the Bible called 1 Timothy, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a pastor named Timothy to help him kind of look at what does it look like to help a church grow, to mature, to be the kind of people that God desires us to be. So this is what we're looking at today. I'm going to pray as we uh, jump into the word today. Father, I, I pray that you would guide our time. I ask that you would open our hearts, help us to hear your voice. I pray that you would uh, speak to us, uh, allow me to uh, truthfully, helpfully share, God, your word uh, to all of us today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So if you're a Christian, one of the things that we desire to have is a, an attractive faith. We, we want our faith to be something that says something good about who God is. We, we don't want people to look at our lives and because of our lives say, man, I'm not interested in God. We want our lives to be something that actually draws people to God, to be something that attracts people people to God. We want our lives to be, you could say in some ways, the, the best advertisement for God, for Jesus. We want our lives to be able to do that, to be able to show God. And, and there's everything in our life is something that is supposed to contribute to that. Everything that we do, whether it's our relationships or even gathering on Sunday, everything that we do in some ways is supposed to show the goodness of who God is. Everything that we do in our lives, all the parts of our faith and our relationships, and even what we do on a Sunday is supposed to show here's who God is. Here's what God is like. And, and here's the big idea of this sermon, of this text that we're going to look at. The, the big idea is only a life that is submitted to God, only a life that is submitted to God attracts people to God. The life that will attract other people to see who God is and know who God is and love who God is, is the life that is submitted to God. And this is true of all sorts of different areas in life. Maybe there's areas that you have, before you weren't interested in at all, but you had a friend that was really kind of hyped up about something and even submitted themselves to something, and it started to maybe at least pique your interest towards something. I know I've had a lot of friends that have been uh, into CrossFit, and, and they're like, man, this is, I, they swear by it, right? That's kind of what submission is in some way, where you say, this is the only workout, this is the best, this is, it changed my life, this is all, the only workout I'll ever do anymore. And they kind of submit themselves to that thing, which then attracts other people or repels them. But oftentimes, it can attract people to something and go, wow, if they have kind of submitted themselves to that, maybe there's something to it. And maybe you've got authors like that. that you say, I, I was just, um, I haven't read this book yet, but it was endorsed by somebody. And they said, I read, the endorsement was kind of a celebrity person. And they said, I read everything this person writes. And that's like a submission. It's to say, man, whatever this person puts out, I'm going to read that. Whatever this person says, I'm going to listen to that. And so those kinds of things often make us go, okay, I'm, maybe I'm interested in that. I've got friends that are really into, and I'm not that much, and maybe some of you are going to hate me now, but uh, the Enneagram test, and they say, man, that's everything, right? That's, oh, it's explained my whole life. You know, I didn't, didn't even know what my name was till I read this test. And then now everything makes sense in my life. And they've submitted themselves to something, which then oftentimes attracts people to that and go, maybe there's something about that. Maybe I should explore that. Maybe, maybe there's something about that. So this is true with, with God. 
The life that is submitted to God attracts to God. The life that is submitted to him and says, every area of my life I give to you, the life that does that shows something about who God is and what he's like and often then attracts people to God. That's what we want. We want a faith. We want a life. If you're a Christian, we want a faith that attracts people to God. But that's hard. It's hard to say. I mean, it's one thing, you know, if there's a certain test you like or a certain author you like or a certain workout you like or a certain diet you like, but it's hard to actually come to God and say, every area of my life is submitted to you. Every area of my life is submitted to you. And that's a difficult thing to do. And so what we're going to look at today as Paul kind of instructs Timothy in the life of the church, he's going to give us kind of three different areas, three different areas that oftentimes actually we don't really think about submitting to God. He's going to give us three different areas and really in that reasons that we should bring those to God, submit those to God, which then helps our lives to attract to God. Now, before I read the text for today, I need to give some disclaimers. I've got four disclaimers. And anytime there's a sermon with four disclaimers, you know it's going to be an interesting sermon. Uh, so let me give you four disclaimers. First of all is this. If you're, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not even sure what you believe, or maybe you haven't come to church in a long time, and you're kind of checking things out, Jesus is the most important thing. And we want you to know Jesus We want you to love Jesus. We want you to look at the life of Jesus and say, who is he? Did he die on the cross? Did he raise from the dead? And if that's true, what does life look like? That's where we want you to start. And and what we're going to look at today, some of the stuff in here is kind of controversial stuff or some stuff that maybe you would disagree on. And Okay, that's fine. This is not the beginning. This is not Christianity 101. This is, I'm not saying it's not important, but this is not the the primary, most important thing. And if you're not a Christian, man, we want you to know Jesus. That's where we want you to start. And then you begin to go, okay, if Jesus is who he said he is, what does that mean about all different areas of life? A second disclaimer is this, just because of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, I can create a lot of questions, and I can't answer everything. I can't address everything. I mean, unless you guys want to be here for six hours, which I don't, I don't know if you, I mean, it might be fun. We can order pizza in and see who stays, but, um, but I can't answer every single question. And there's a lot of stuff about this, and I mean, I've talked to people about this stuff for hours and hours outside of a Sunday, just kind of in personal conversations. And so if you've got questions, man, we, we don't want to ignore those things. We want to help you kind of process through those things or ask those questions and, and help you in those things. And so feel free to ask me questions, to email or to, um, to, to ask, and we can give you recommended resources to look at. Even on the Next Step page, there's kind of recommended sermon resources that you can go at and look at. Uh, and then third thing is uh, it's easy. Maybe this is most important disclaimer in some ways. It's, it's easy to have our minds and our opinions on things led by whatever's popular. I mean, if, if it was 100 years ago, it's really easy to go, hey, whatever people believe kind of 100 years ago, that's what, what I believe. And whatever people believe today, that's, that's what I believe. It, it's really easy to let kind of whatever popular opinion is, whatever the culture around us is, be really what determines our opinions. And a lot of times the Bible challenges those things. It confronts those things. And we need actually something outside of culture to help us know, hey, what is good in 2019? What's bad in 2019? Without that, we're always led by what's popular. So then 100 years ago, whatever kind of people believe, you're like, hey, yeah, this is cool. And then today, whatever. But sometimes in different 
Every culture has things that are out of whack, right? Every culture, every place, everybody, I mean, we know that, right? Every culture, every time, every era has things that are out of whack. And only if we have something that is above culture that actually speaks into it are we able to know what are the good things and the bad things to help us actually decide. All right, so there's a lot of disclaimers. And now you're like, what is this sermon about? Well, here we go, okay? <laughs> Let me read the text. Here's what it says. This is what it says, 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15. Therefore, which is based on everything we looked at last week, which is that God wants to save people. God wants to save people. He wants to bring them into his family. He wants people to know him. So Paul says, therefore, God wants people to really know what he's like. God wants people to really see his heart, his character. Therefore, here's the instructions. I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing with decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel, but with good works as is proper for women who profess to worship God. A woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. You guys ready? <laughs> let's, let's pray again. Okay, God, would you, uh, I'm serious, actually. God, would you just open our eyes and our hearts to hear what you want us to hear today? I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so here, here's what we're going to look at. Three different areas that Paul gives to us where, where really we need to say, I want to submit my life to him. And the life that is submitted to God is the life that attracts to God, which is what God's heart is. He wants us to be drawn to him. So let's look at three different areas Paul says that we need to submit in and reasons that he gives us that will help us to be able to do this. So starting is this. What does submission in our frustration look like? There's a lot of things that we can be frustrated about in life, right? There's a lot of things that we can be bothered by. And, and, and here's kind of where frustration and anger and those things kind of come from. It's, it's, and this maybe kind of simplifies it, but, but it's really kind of the essence is there's something that we want control of that we don't have control of, right? There's something that we want the way that we want it. There's something that we want to go our way that, that we are frustrated about because it's not going the way that we want it. To go, So there's a lot of different areas that we can have frustration in, and this is often an issue for men, although not exclusively for men. And there's a lot of things that Paul's going to say in here that, that uh, he kind of says, this is for men, this is for women, and, and those, things are, those things are true, but it's also, man, those things can apply. I mean, it's not like only men are angry, right? But here, here's what Paul says. He says there's kind of two things. There's anger and argument that often happen. There's anger and argument. That we have. See, if, and th those are kind of two sides of the same coin in some ways. In some ways, anger you can think about is this internal thing. It's an emotion that we have, a feeling that we have when we want to control something, when we want things to go our way, but it's not going our way. Internally, we feel anger. We want things to be like this, and they're not. And there's a spectrum of this, right? There's things that, man, you are really angry about that maybe you're like, this is righteous, just cause. And there's things kind of over here that you're just, you know, you don't like traffic and you're angry because it's not going your way. I know I get angry all the time. I mean, I, maybe not all the time, but a lot of times. I get angry a lot of times, if I'm honest, at TSA. 
Because I, I, a lot of times when I'm going on an airplane, I wear like just a zip-up hoodie, you know, because it's just comfortable and, you know, kind of whatever. And I, I go to TSA and like, hey, can you take off your jacket? And I'm like, this, this, is a, this is just a sweatshirt, you know, this is just a hoodie, this is not a jacket. Uh, and so that bothers me. And <laughs> so I, I know that, so that's like the righteous just cause, right? There's the, and then there's the petty things. No, but actually this is true. I did go to, I, uh, I, this has happened multiple times, but the last time that this, that this happened, I won't tell you when it was, but the last time that it happened, I, I, the guy, I was just like, I'm not going to stand for this. This is not okay. And so I, I said, he's like, hey, can you take off your jacket? And I was like, oh, 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 this is just a sweatshirt. And he was like, oh, no, you need to take off the jacket. And I was like, what, what's the definition of a jacket? And he's like, an outer, an outer layer. And I was like, okay. And I was like, okay, am I, I'm either going to get tased or I, and I was like, but there's some things worth dying on the hill of. And I said, so, and I, I looked at him and he's wearing his like button up, you know, TSA uniform. So I was like, is that a jacket? And he was like, uh, no, this is not a jacket. And I was like, but it's an outer layer. And then, <laughs> anyways, so that, uh, I, then I just shut up because I was like, I'm not going to be able to make my flight. That's stupid, right? But here's the thing. I, I want control. I was angry because there's something that's like, I want this to go my way, and it's not going my way. I want things to be in my control. I want to be able to wear my sweatshirt that's not a jacket, and I want to be able to get on my plane. I want to be able to do that, and I don't have control of the situation. I don't have the badge. I don't have the uniform. I don't, I don't have that. There's a lot of things in our life that are frustrating because we're not in control. And so internally, one of the things we can feel is anger whether that's something stupid and petty like a sweatshirt or it's kind of more intense things that you say, man, I want a job and I don't have that and it's outside of my control and I'm angry. I want my spouse to change in a certain way and they're not and it's outside of my control and I'm angry. I want, I want people to listen to me and respect me and understand that my opinions are valid and, and I can't control that, so I'm angry. See, when things are outside of our control, a lot of times we get angry, or, Paul says, we argue, which is kind of the external expression of that. Internally, we may feel anger, and then we argue, which I was kind of doing both, right, with the TSA guy, kind of arguing with him. And we argue when we say, man, things are outside of my control, but if I can kind of force my opinion onto somebody, then maybe I will be able to have control. And so here's what Paul says, that a lot of times we have got life and it's frustrating. There's things that we argue about. There's things that we're angry about. There's things that we're trying to control to get our way, to show people. This is what arguing is, to show people that our way is the right way and they should listen to us. I think this is interesting because Paul is kind of talking about this in the context of a, of a church setting, a church gathering. And I, I think Oftentimes, not always, but I think oftentimes the longer that you've been a Christian, the longer you've been a Christian, sometimes I think you're more prone to arguing and to anger because you develop a sense of self-righteousness. My opinions are right. What I believe is right. And so we are angry when people don't follow the way that, that we say. And I'm, man, God's opinions are right, but that doesn't mean that our opinions are always right. And we often can develop a sense of self-righteousness the longer that we are Christians. And then even, even though we've got argument and anger and maybe we're not at peace with people, we actually come into a worship gathering. We come into a place and, and we're ready to just kind of jump into the ritual. 
to pray, to sing, to listen to God's word. And yet our hearts are not actually in a right place. There's people that we're in conflict with. There's, there's things that we're kind of um, upset and angry and arguing about that, that, that are in our hearts, but we come in and just kind of do the ritual of, of church, which actually creates hearts that are then unreceptive to experience what God wants. So let me ask you this. Who are you angry with? Who maybe are you arguing with? Maybe it's not even externally. Maybe you're not even doing it out here. It's just in our minds. Because, you know, I mean, a lot of times, some, maybe depending on your personality or upbringing or whatever, some of us express our anger. Some of us would uh, just, it's just kind of boils inside of us. Some of us express our arguments. Some of us just argue in our minds, right? You're always the best arguer in the world when you're just in bed at night, just thinking it over in your head. Got him, you know, but, and some of you would never argue out loud, but, I mean, who who is it that maybe you're, arguing with or angry with or situations that you feel, man, this needs to be like this. And it's not. Now here, here's what Paul says. Here's what it looks like to actually submit in this area instead of just kind of living in that. He says that we come and we pray. See, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, to come and to lift up hands. So that's, that's the opposite. There's this context of things that we are angry about or arguing about. And instead, I mean, it's such a, it's such a beautiful image. I mean, just for a minute, will you, will you just let me be like your fitness instructor for a second? Can you just take your hands? This is my fitness cane. Just close them really tight. That's it. That's all you, you got one workout in for the day, right? You just close these tight. And then just do this, right? Just hold it really, really tight. And then just go like this. Slowly. I mean, that... That is what Paul is saying. Don't you just feel that? Like that's such a great metaphor spiritually of there's things that we are trying to hang on to, to control. And we're angry about them and we argue about them and we want them to go how we want them to go. And Paul says, here's what submission looks like. It's to just say, I'm actually going to open my hands. I'm going to open my hands. I'm going to lift them up in prayer. You see, prayer releases control. It's hard to argue with someone if you're like this, right? If I just walked into TSA like this, they, they might actually tase me if I walked in like that. <laughs> like something's in his hands, you know, but if you, if you just, if you just it's, hard to, it's hard to get angry like this. It's hard to be in a posture of, of, of um, hostility when you're like this because this is surrender, right? This is, man, I, I lift up my hands in prayer, which is the opposite of I tighten my hands and keep them close and I'm angry and I argue. It's to say, I release, I submit to God. I submit to God. See, whatever you're angry about, whatever, whatever you argue about, whether it's a situation or a person, to bring that to God and submit to him is to say, man, I, just, I, I give this to you because I know you listen. I know that you care. See, when Paul tells us to bring these things to God in prayer, what does that mean about God? It means he cares. Like whatever you're going through that is producing frustration and anger and hostility and argument, whatever that is for you right now, God looks at it and cares about it. He looks at it and says, yeah, release it to me. I care about it. I know you want things your way. Release to me. It's better with me in control. Release to me because I see it and I know that things feel unjust. I am the one that is actually a God of justice and knows what is right and knows what is wrong. 
He says to release in prayer, to get to submit to God. See, that helps us. If we, if we do that, that's a very freeing thing, isn't it? I mean, what if you really do that? Like, instead of just arguing and angry, you, you just, even this week, just begin to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just open my hands and open my heart to say, God, I, I want you to have this. I just want you to take this. I trust that it's better with you in control than with me in control. When we live in submission like this, you know what we do? We show, we attract, we show a God that's in control. We show a God that can be trusted with all the difficult things in life. See, the big idea is that the life that is submitted to God attracts to God. And when we submit in whatever our frustration is, we show a God that's in control, that cares about the difficulty and frustrating things in our life. Second thing that he tells us to look at of the different details where we need to submit to God, he says, there's some things in our appearance that we need to submit to God. What does submission in our appearance look like? And and he gives this specifically to women, although again, man, this applies to, to you guys also. And I'm one of them also. <laughs> but uh, he says this, what does submission in our appearance look like? And he gives kind of three kind of criteria for women to think about. The women who dress themselves with modest clothing, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold pearls, or expensive apparel. So he kind of gives these three ki- criteria that guide what the appearance is to look like. It's to be modest, it's not to be elaborate, and it's not to be expensive. Now, now what's he talking about here? This is... It's kind of weird. I remember in um, high school, I, I don't, we were me and a friend, a gal. We were, we were at some, I don't know, like outdoor festival thing in Portland, and uh, there, there was a guy with a sign, which is always, you know, that's always a good experience. And and he came up to her and said, like, the devil's metal is in your ear, you know, and because she had earrings on. I was like, what? I don't. I mean, I didn't know the devil was in charge of Claire's or Hot Topic or whatever. But <laughs> it's like that. I don't know if that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. That hey, all you know, maybe some of you ladies, you look at the hey, don't have any braids, so you know, take that. Some of you, it's time to take that braid out. You know, got pearls, you got gold, got to got to get rid of that. We're, we got offering baskets up here. We're gonna melt it down. You know, and uh, <laughs> turn it into a gold pulpit or something. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't probably don't have that much gold, but what, what's he talking here? Here's the thing. Okay. In all times, in all cultures, those are important principles. Modesty, not to have expensive kind of apparel that's flaunted to have uh, what was the third word he said to, oh, to, to not have, have it be elaborate, but that, that changes based on culture and times. I mean, look, you go to the beach now in your swimsuit. Think about, you can look up, you know, pictures from decades ago, people in full-on dress, right? And that was what was modest at that point. Don't, like, modesty at one point was don't show your ankles. That was modesty. You show your ankles, man, dudes are going to be swooning, right? But no one, there's not, like, ankle magazines out there, you know, that, that doesn't exist anymore, right? I don't think. Maybe there is some weird. I haven't, I haven't Googled it. Um, but it, it changes, right? In cultures, it changes. There's certain things in, in some cultures, in other places in the world that are not here in the U.S. that you would say, man, that's, that is modest for them. No, no one's going to go into some, uh, you know, rainforest village and say, hey, you need to actually be wearing this and this and this. 
So, so here's the thing, modesty and expensive and, and, and uh, elaborate, all those things vary by culture, by time, but the principle is the same. And the principle, the principle is this, that do you have a heart? Do you have a heart that is using appearance and using dress and using looks to impress? Do you have a heart that says, you know what I want? with my appearance, with what I want to attract people to myself. I want to impress people with myself. That's, that's the heart of what he is talking about that changes for them, the, you know, the braids and the pearls and all that. I mean, that, that there was actually kind of, you know, the best kind of images, if you've seen like the Hunger Games and people have these crazy braided hairstyles that go like all the way up and all the, or like, you know, either Hunger Games or maybe the opposite end of the spectrum, like Whoville, you know, Dr. Seuss, same thing, these crazy, and that was kind of what they did. And it was this very ostentatious, look at me, and there'd be jewels in the, in the hair. And he's saying, that's not what you're to do when you're coming in for church, is to be saying, I want to impress with myself. I want to draw people to myself. Now, here's, here's, here's what I think is interesting. And here's where I think what Paul says is, is really helpful, actually, even to us in 2019, removed, so far removed from this culture. I think our culture is really confused about this. I think our culture is really confused about this because there's, a, there's kind of two sides that keep swinging back and forth where you've got, like, man, we, we really need to have strong body image, like, po- be body positive, and, hey, everybody's beautiful, and, and there's this big emphasis on kind of self-acceptance and your body image and know that you're beautiful and know that uh, you are so beautiful no matter what it is, you know. And then there's also this obsession with, we just had the Grammys, the Oscars are coming up, best dressed, worst dressed. It's like, what? There's a, there's a big confusion. I thought it was just body positive, self-accept. But no, let's actually look at everybody and assess how beautiful they are and where they fall and and fashion's a multi-billion dollar industry where it's like, you better wear the right things. You better look the right way. But wait a minute, I thought it was just body positive and my image is great. And like, I think we're really confused about this. Or similarly, I think there's kind of a, a big movement, rightfully so. Don't, don't hear me calling this out, but there's a big movement that is don't objectify women. You know, don't catcall women. We were, I was on a hike with my kids and there's this guy, he, he, was, uh, he was hiking, running out in the snow, and he passed by this, there was kind of a gal in the path, and, and he said, hey, how's it going, Blondie? And she stopped him and was like, hey, can you take out your headphones? And she kind of gave him this lecture of, hey, don't call me Blondie. I don't need you to be drawn to my appearance. And, and my kids were like, what's going on? And I was like, well, this guy, blah, blah. And I kind of explained, hey, that's not, it's not good, actually, to just call someone out by their appearance. Call someone blondie, or I don't want someone looking at me and, hey, brownie, or whatever. Like, I, that's like, what? Uh, you know, why don't people do that to guys also? It's only to girls, which is kind of what the movement is like. Hey, let's not objectify women. Let's not treat them as sex objects or appearance objects and catcall them. And then at the same time, our culture's confused because we, we, we're saying that message. And then there's also, you know, like uh, some of you probably don't even necessarily know these names, but two kind of, um, what would you even call them? Pop singers, Ariana Grande, Cardi B, both, both these gals recently have been in the, 
uh, like there was kind of a Twitter battle between some like news anchor people calling them out because they were saying, hey, you're immodest and you're just using your kind of sexuality to sell things. And they responded back and were saying, hey, no, my sexuality empowers me. And yes, I'm going to be naked. And yes, I'm going to do this. And yes, I'm going to show off my body because, you know, this it's I'm able to this I'm able to be uh, totally into because they were kind of saying, hey, you're how, how is this OK in the age of me, too? And they're saying, no, this is the age because I'm I'm a woman and I'm able to show my sexuality and it's empowering. So there's like this really confusing stuff, I think, in our culture where on the one hand, we want to say, hey, beauty is not everything. And then we want to assess everybody's beauty. And we want to say, hey, women aren't sexual objects. And then we want to say, hey, I'm a sexual object that's able to be empowered because of that. See, I think what Paul says is actually really helpful and relevant to this because it's a terrifying and empowering thing to be impressive with your beauty, with your looks. It's a terrifying thing to, to say, hey, I actually have the power to impress, but what if I don't? But it is a really empowering thing to be able to say, I can impress people with who I am and what I look like. I think this is why our culture is so confused, because it's true that, man, you are, there is so much power in being or not being impressive, but we're not meant to bear that weight. We're not actually meant to bear the weight of being impressive. We're not meant to bear the weight. Ladies, I mean, Paul's talking specifically to you. I think this is for everybody, but ladies, you're not meant to bear the weight of being impressive, of being alluring, I mean, even if you think I'm just like stupid and conservatively crazy or something, I mean, I, I, I think we can maybe agree it hasn't, like this emphasis hasn't been good for, for women. I don't think it's helped women. And here's what Paul says. He says, no matter the culture around you and what, what all everyone else is doing and what they say is beautiful and what they say you need to do to attract and impress, and no matter the culture around you or even the desires within you, he says this, he says, your life is more. Your life is more than just what you look like. That God doesn't care if you're on trend or not. God doesn't care if you're sexy at 50 or not. For some of you, that's a long way away, right? God doesn't care if you're sexy at 30 or not or whatever. Your life is so much more than that. Here, here's what he says. He says, don't, don't have it like that. Don't dress yourself in that, but with good works. And it's the quality of your life with good works, as is, and this is the key part, as is proper for, for women who profess to worship God. You see what he's saying is it's, it's not about your beauty at all, whether you are beautiful or not beautiful. It's not about whether you are uh, this, this um, if you are an object of, of sexuality or not an object of sexuality. It's about your life, and your life is not intended to actually impress your, to draw impression of yourself, but to actually show how impressive God is. That's what worship is. See, worship is to ascribe worth with our appearance, with our beauty, with our dress. Our inclination or tendency can be to say, I need to impress with me. He says, instead of that, you can actually show how impressive God is. Doesn't that take the weight off? Like, what if you don't have to be impressive? Doesn't that take the weight off if you don't have to be impressive, but your life can actually be used to show how impressive God is? 
What if your life, what if your, your looks, your appearance in no way has to say, I need people to see this and be impressed. But instead, you can say, I'm actually going to live my life to show how impressive he is. To show what he is like. That's what our life is meant to do. That's what, ladies, your life is meant to do. It's not to show how beautiful you are, but show how beautiful he is. Is that your focus? Look, I don't, I don't look around our church and think, man, we've got a huge issue with this. Everybody's naked. and, and like, I mean, that's not, like, I, I don't think that, but I know that there can be things happening inside of us still, right? I know, man, there can be struggles inside of us that are still weighing. But isn't it freeing to say, my life is actually meant to show his beauty. So it doesn't matter what's here. It matters actually how I live. Is that your focus? What if, ladies, you put as much energy into caring about your appearance as you did into showing how impressive God is with your life. Guys, what if, for those of you that are single guys, what if instead of being so concerned about what that uh, future potential you know, partner, woman, date might look like, you were thinking, man, what's, what's, what is her life like? I mean, I don't want to call anyone out that has used Tinder or anything like that, but I mean, it's, it's interesting, right, that probably the biggest, most popular dating app right now is I'm looking just at someone's face and saying, basically, do they have worth? Nope. Do they have worth? Nope. Do they have worth? Yep. Instead of, well, like, what if there was pictures of people, like, on setup and teardown? Like, that would be more, like, okay, yeah, okay. Oh, man, that girl can pipe and drape, you know? That, that would be more, like, that would be much more appropriate, you know? is to say, what is the quality of someone's life? Are they showing how impressive God is? Or are they just trying to show how impressive they are? Here's what happens. When we submit our appearance even to him, I mean, isn't that an area we don't really think about? Like, what does God think about my clothes? But if we submit our appearance to him, that actually shows a God. It attracts to a God that is focused on loving and serving others. Because our lives are saying, I'm not all about people seeing me. I want people to see this good, loving God. So I live to love and serve others. That actually shows a God that loves and serves others and cares about others. And finally, and here's kind of the, maybe the most uh, you know, touchy subject. What does it look like to submit in our gender? What does submission in our gender look like. Here's what, we, here's what we believe. Here's kind of some of our cultural mantras or kind of just deep embedded ideologies that we have. We believe that, that to find myself, I need to look inside of me. That, that really what matters is to be true to myself, to discover myself, to then express myself, that nobody has the right to tell me what's right or wrong for me, but what I really need to do, what's most important is to be true to me, to follow my heart, to discover who I am and be that person. That, that's what we believe. But you know what often happens then? We're given this heavy weight of creation. If, if it's on us to discover ourselves, to be true to ourselves, then we really have to form an identity for ourselves. And it's not just that we have to form an identity for ourselves. We have to project that. People have to be able to see that. It's no use just creating and fashioning and being true to yourself if nobody else can see it. 
So we've got these messages that say, what I need to do is be true to myself. And then I need to express myself for others to validate that self that I've created. Part of the breakdown in our world today is nobody agrees on anything. Because everything is be true to yourself. So how can anyone say that this is right or this is wrong? So you've got no commonality to appeal to. This is why our world is so part of why our world is so divided. Why this political party can say this political party is so evil and this political party can say, what are you talking about? You're evil. Why people can be at war with one because there's no commonality. There's nothing, that you, there's nothing by which we are all saying we are trying to conform to this. We're all saying, no, I'm, I'm being true to me. And you are so against who I am, how could you be okay? But this person's just being true to them and you're so... So it creates division. It creates a weight of identity formation that we have on ourselves, and the need for other people to see it and validate it. I mean, it's interesting. What if you, I mean, just kind of do this thought experiment that you say, you know what, I just am going to be true to myself. And so you post on Facebook or Instagram, say, 2019, this is the year I'm being true to me. And you, you say, this is, this is who I am. I want everybody to know this is who I am now. And nobody likes it. And nobody comments on it. And nobody says, yeah. That, that would feel crushing. Because if I need to create myself, I need other people to validate that that creation is good. I need other people to see it and validate it. Now, here's what Paul says. He says, we're not born and given the task of creation. We're not born and given the task of needing to form something in us. He says, we've been formed. He says, Adam was formed first, then Eve. But just focus on this word for a second. He's saying, you don't have to create yourself. You don't have to build an identity for yourself. You don't have to discover yourself, be true to yourself. The truth is, you're actually formed by God. You've actually been made and designed by God. Now, that, that's a beautiful and liberating and freeing thing because it says we don't have the weight of having to figure out who we are. We've been formed by God. We've been designed by God, and, and what God has designed is good. What God has built into creation is good. Sometimes... Sometimes we, we feel like, man, to really flourish, I need to just be free. To really flourish, I need to be free without any constraint to tell me who I can be or what I can do. To really flourish, to really thrive, I just need to be free. There's an illustration that I've heard that I, that I love kind of around this is to say, look, if, if a fish, if a fish said that, if a fish said, look, to flourish, I need to be free. So I don't want this water telling me what to do and who I can be and where I can go. And hops out onto dry land. Say, I want to be free. I don't want to be constrained. What actually happens? The fish wriggles around and flops around and dies, right? It suffocates in its freedom. And Paul is saying this. Paul is saying, look, God wants you to flourish. 
He wants you to thrive. He wants you to be everything that you were designed to be. A fish is most free when it's swimming in water and being who it was made to be. A fish is most liberated when it looks at the ocean and says, I was made for this and I'm going to be who I was formed to be. Sometimes my kids will uh, kind of argue with me about something. It's not, well, all the time, my kids will argue with me about something. <laughs> that I, I want something good for them, right? I'll say, hey, I want you to brush your teeth. Because like your teeth were designed to be brushed, not to just be loaded with sugar or whatever. Like a, a, you, a, you need to eat vegetables because you were designed. To, like If you listen to me, you will experience flourishing. And, and they, I don't use all that language, but, and they will say, but, but poppy, but poppy. But, and I say, don't call me butt poppy, okay? Like I'm not butt poppy. And it's kind of a joke with them because kids love butts and farts and whatever. But it's also to say like, hey, don't, instead, of, instead of your immediate reaction being butt poppy, butt, instead say, okay, like you, you, I bet you want good for me. So that's why you're asking me to, to tap into the way I was formed, that my body actually needs to eat vegetables, that my teeth actually need to be brushed. And see, we can bring that to God too, though, with everything. It's but God, but God, but God. And Paul is saying this. The way you were formed is where you will experience flourishing. When we tap into our design is when we experience the most freedom, even if it feels restrictive like water for a fish or vegetables for a child. That's what Paul says. He says, to start with, we need to understand we were formed. We were created. So, so what does this look like? What is, how does it actually play itself out in our gender? How does it actually play itself out? And he's speaking again in the context of a church, and here's what he says. He says, a woman is to learn, which by the way, is very, was controversial at the time. That's not controversial today, but at the time, that, that, this just shows us, man, the Bible's not afraid to confront culture where it needs to be confronted. The Bible's not afraid to say, this is wrong, actually. Women should learn. He says, a woman is to learn, and we'll come back to this part in a second, quietly with full submission. Then he says, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Now, this isn't saying that a woman cannot teach in any way whatsoever, that she has to be completely quiet. There's other places in the Bible that talk about, in a, in a worship setting, women prophesying or uh, husband and wife couples that are mentoring a man named Apollos and teaching him the Bible. But this is talking about in a church setting in a public worship setting, and the words to teach or to have authority. To teach or to have authority is, is the kind of clues as to what is he actually talking about here? What does he actually mean here? And this is the job description that Paul and the rest of the Bible gives to those that are pastors. So the job description, the primary job description of pastors is to teach and to have authority. And we'll talk about some of that next week that Paul will go into. And so when he is saying that he doesn't allow a woman to teach or to have authority, he's not saying that she can never talk, that she can never say anything, that, that she's not allowed to sit, that a husband and wife are not allowed to sit down with somebody that's trying to learn and teach them the Bible. He's talking about in a worship setting and specifically calling out what the role description of an elder pastor is. So he's saying, I don't permit a woman to be a pastor, essentially to teach, to have authority. Now, look, I, I know that this is, for some of you, are like, what? How, how could you say that? Well, I'm just saying what Paul is saying. This is, I mean, these are, this is Paul's words. I do not permit a woman, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority. And then he gives two reasons. He says this, we looked at this, but Adam was formed first, 
than Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. Now, why is it that Paul is saying, look, I don't permit a woman to have this role of teaching and authority in the church? And he gives two reasons. The first is the formation. He says, God made Adam first. Now, that's not, first doesn't mean that one is better than the other, but it does indicate, it does indicate that God made Adam to be someone that was the leader, which is what he's saying. He says Adam was formed first, that there's a primacy in his creation as the one given responsibility. And secondly, he says the woman was deceived and transgressed, so he doesn't allow women to have authority. This is not saying women are more gullible or just saying, hey, man, women, you can just deceive them with anything. You can trick them with anything. So I don't, he says Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. So is this saying, hey, man, women, you know, they're just, you can fool them about anything. It's not what he's saying. If that was what he was saying, then he would say a woman couldn't teach anyone, and not just in the church setting or authority over a man. He would say, don't let women teach anybody. And if that's what he was saying also, then you could say, well, that's not really fair because Adam might not have been deceived, but he sinned. He, you know, this is going back to creation, and Eve eats the fruit, and then she gives it to Adam who is with her, and, and, and he eats the fruit. So you would, he would have to say, hey, women, the woman was deceived, and she sinned, and also don't give men any fruit, you know, because they ruined that, or something. Like, there, there would have to be something that Adam's not off the hook for. So what is he talking about when he says, here's my second reason. First, in built into creation, built into creation, God made a principle that men are given the primary responsibility for leadership. Second, he's saying this, that was usurped by Eve in this case, and things broke. You see, what happened is God instructed Adam not to eat of a certain tree. And then what happened is Eve is with Adam, and she's listening to the serpent talk about the fruit. And she actually, instead of allowing Adam to lead in that moment, and Adam in his passivity did nothing, she usurps the role of leader, listens to the serpent, and instructs Adam in what to do, gives the fruit to him. And he says, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to let you be the leader, which is part of why God, when he comes to the garden, even says to Adam in his rebuke to Adam, why did you listen to the voice of your wife? Which isn't to say that men should never listen to women, but in this case, what Adam did was give over leadership to Eve and allowed her to usurp the role that that he was to have. So Paul's point here is this. First, God created man first, which instills in creation a principle of leadership that is given, primary responsibility. And second, that if that pattern is broken, things break. Things get messed up. Things are destroyed. When, when men either are passive or give up primary responsibility of leadership, things get broken. That's what Paul's point is here. Now, let me, let me say this. That pattern is still destructive today. When men give up, when men give up the calling to say, I'm going to take primary, loving, servant, respond. I mean, the Bible talks about this in so many other places. This is just kind of a, a snippet. But when it full, more fully defines that, it's, man, when men give up the calling and the role to take primary, loving, servant, Jesus-like responsibility and leadership, things break. I, can't, I mean, I have talked to many women 
that have said, man, I wish my husband would lead our family spiritually. I wish my husband would pray more with me or the kids. I wish my husband would just kind of, even just from a planning standpoint, plan more date nights or lead more and take more initiative. Look, Sarah made a joke about it. If you were in here about the announcements even of like, hey, the Facebook event, I think there actually is a Facebook event for, for the guys, but kind of, hey, oh, the women have a Facebook event, but ah, men don't, you know. <laughs> but even something as simple as that, right, is to say, man, why is it that she can say that and we can go, yeah, uh, of course? Why is it that men are known to be the people that are passive and irresponsible? Why is it that that's just like a given to say, yeah, you know what? Men are stupid and women are not. Why is that like, oh, yeah, that's cool? I mean, I think that explains a lot of the problems that we have in our culture in so many ways that this pattern is still destructive. Listen, I love that women are doing well and fighting for equal pay and rights. and also, I, I love that. That's not anything that this is talking about. But it does hurt my heart. I wish I could have 15 sons and give them growth hormone pills that grow them up now, you know, and that I could somehow raise them. Because, man, I look around at our church and other churches and see so many single ladies that are godly, mature women fighting to follow Jesus with their lives saying, yeah, but where's the Christian dudes? They can't even put a Facebook event up. <laughs> I think there is one, so I'm not really calling people out <laughs> in here. I'm just saying. <sighs> Sarah's single, by the way. So, um, <laughs> All right, so, um, yeah, you, you know what happens? You know what happens is that, that instead of this, men either become really passive, instead of saying, God's given me. So look, submission, if you're a dude in your gender, looks like saying, God's given me responsibility to take initiative and responsibility. That's what it looks like to actually submit in your gender is to say, I'm supposed to do this. For some guys, that's really hard. I'm not like that, and that's not, you know, that's just, or whatever. And so men often are very passive, or in overreaction. I think this is what we see so much, in overreaction to saying, I need some bearing of responsibility and initiative. Guys become all sorts of horrible jerks. Like toxic masculinity develops when there's no masculinity. Toxic masculinity develops when it's saying, hey, there is no such thing as masculinity. It doesn't matter. So it's either this passivity or there's a, you know, I, I, this kind of man up, like this is, what, this is what it means to be a man. It means to be a jerk. And neither of those is what, what God, what Paul is pointing us to. Like why is it that so many men are involved in gangs or stupid things like alt-right organizations and, and things that are, uh, you know, even, I'm, there's nothing against sports, but I think even men craving sports and being so into sports or video games, it's this kind of hunger to say, I want to take some initiative in something. I want to take some responsibility in something, but there's an ignorance of what that actually should play itself out in. To submit in our role is to say, I've been formed and designed to be someone that takes primary responsibility for loving servant leadership. 
in the places that God has put me. So if you're married, that means in your marriage. To take primary responsibility for loving, servant, responsible leadership. If you are dating, it means that you are saying, man, how do I just begin to press into that pattern now to take loving responsibility to initiate in the church. And I want to see more men say, what does it look like for me to, like, you know that statistically, like, in Christianity, it's 60% female, 40% male. There's other religions like Islam or kind of smaller uh, sects even that, man, they, they really kind of tap into men's hunger to lead and be responsible. And, and why, why is it that that's not always the case in Christianity? I would love to see men really say, man, I, I'm going to take responsibility for loving servant leadership and not just let, you know, not just kind of sit back and let the women do everything. Pattern is still destructive today. He says, we should submit in our gender. We were formed in a certain way. We were formed in a certain way. So, so men, just ask yourself that question. What does that look like? Is that what you're living into? Does that define you? Do you really say, God, God designed me this way, so this is, what I'm, this is how I'm living. I'm, I'm tapping into the formation of me as somebody called to lead Ladies, what does it mean for you? He, he says this. I think, sometimes, I think sometimes when this conversation gets brought up, um, the, the forest is missed for the trees, uh, or the trees are missed for the forest, or whatever, however, something is missed. Um, some vegetation is missed in this conversation. And what happens is there's this big debate of, of like, hey, is this even okay? And is this controversial? Blah, blah, blah. But it misses what he actually says, which is a practical application, which is to... A woman to learn quietly with full submission. Again, he's talking about kind of in a church context. And so just the direct application of that, let me just ask you ladies, and don't answer this out loud, but even when you come in here, because that's what he's talking about, do you come in with a heart to actually say, I want to learn. I want to receive. Or do you come in kind of hostile already? Do you come in kind of, this can't be true, this can't be right? Or do you come in actually saying, I want to learn. I want to receive. Now, this is the posture that anyone should have. If you're a dude, you should have this posture too. This is where I'm saying a lot of this applies to, to everybody. Like, it's not that guys should come in rowdy with uh, arrogance. I mean, it's, it's that everybody should have that posture. Say, I want to learn. I want to receive. Not always be looking for, I want to kind of prove what's false or what's not good or what's not right. But I want to I quietly with full submission receive. It's impossible to learn without that posture. That's what Paul says. And then... Here's what it also means. Um, and this is a just super tricky verse that's kind of notoriously difficult to, to understand. I mean, if you look at all the verses in the Bible that are like, man, what does this mean? And what is that? You know, who, it, this, is, this is on the top of the list of difficult verses to kind of get because there's nowhere else in the Bible that says anything like this. So it's, it's kind of hard to understand. So I'm going to uh, show this and then just kind of even present to you. There's kind of different thoughts on this, but, but here's what it means even for, for you ladies. Here, here's what he says. He says, uh, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed, but she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, with good sense. 
So what does that mean? I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches salvation by, uh, you know, reproduction. There's nowhere in the Bible that, that teaches that. So it would be really weird if he meant that. Uh, really, there's kind of two major opinions around this. Some people think, hey, what this means is he's talking about, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, God tells Eve that from her, this is kind of called the Proto-Evangelion, which means the first gospel. God tells Eve, from her seed, from her will come somebody one day that will destroy the serpent. And it's a prophecy about Jesus, that one day from woman is going to come the Savior of the world. And so maybe what Paul is saying here is that through the childbearing, through this childbearing, look, maybe there's some things that are restricted to women. Maybe there's some kind of, maybe some women hearing this might even go, man, that's not fair. I don't want that. But he's also saying, you know what? From a woman came the Savior of the world. From a, it's, there's no denigration to that role. From a woman came the Savior of the, God chose to say, I, and not just, I'm going to put somebody there. Here's Jesus, boom. But I actually want him to come through a woman. There's no denigration. There's no disvaluing of the female gender. Maybe, that, maybe that's what he is referencing. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Kind of the, the second major opinion around this, which is what in my study this week where I would kind of fall, I think makes the most sense, although I think either of these can go either way, but is he, he's not talking about salvation in the sense of Jesus saving people or salvation from a you know, heaven to hell kind of salvation, but saving in, in, a, in the language of a protected from that she will be protected from this damage that can be caused through childbearing. And it doesn't, and, and childbearing isn't even just the childbearing, but it's symbolic of femininity. It's to say, look, there, there's, if, if women tap into the femininity that God has created them with, if they submit in their role to who God has formed them to be as a woman, not just a genderless being, but as a woman, And she'll be protected from the damage that can be caused from usurping that role. And if she continues in faith, love, holiness with good sense, just like would be what we would all be called to in the roles that God has given us. So essentially saying that you flourish when you tap into your formation. That makes the most sense to me. Not to say that women are saved as they have kids uh, but to say that, man, as you tap into who God has made you to be, you're protected from all sorts of damage that can be caused. When you, when you allow yourself to submit to the role that God has given you, as the whole context is talking about, that's when you actually flourish. That's when you actually experience the most freedom. And, and for, for females, kind of the penultimate aspect of your gender is childbearing, but it can be all sorts of things. Many women can't have kids, and, all, and so it doesn't mean that this is that you have to do this. It just means that this is kind of the, the, the aspect of femininity that's most unique to females. So what does it mean to submit in our gender? Let me say this. I know it's kind of a, a long sermon, but there's so much in here. Um, I know that in a lot of this stuff, maybe you don't agree, right? Maybe you're not a Christian, and so maybe you're not sure kind of what you believe or maybe even you read some of this stuff in the Bible and you're like, this is the problem with the Bible. It's archaic. It's outdated. Or Maybe you feel that. Maybe you are a Christian and, and you just kind of have a different opinion. And, and look, I, I recognize that there's godly, Jesus-loving people that kind of have different opinions on this stuff. That, that's okay. We want this to be a safe place for people with different kinds of opinions about, about this. Um, but I hope you can at least see 
the heart that I believe that Paul is calling us to and that he is sharing, which is to say, when we, when we submit to God as the one that creates and forms us, we say, man, there's something so good about a God that I don't have to design myself, but I can say I had a designer that loved me and actually intricately made me to be who I am. And that he's good in that, that my masculinity and my femininity is good. It's from him. It's not a bad thing. It's, not a, it's something that he gave me, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. All of us want to show God with our lives. If you're a Christian, you want to show that God is good and attract people to him through our lives. That happens as we submit our lives to him. Maybe even in areas that we normally don't think about, as we release control over the things that frustrate us, as we, try, as we, as we realize we don't have to be impressive, and as we tap into how we were actually formed. That, that's Paul's heart. And when we take communion, you know, you know what we remember that's kind of a, an amazing and even a beautiful thing? We remember that the reason, the ultimate reason that we can submit to God, that we can say, I entrust to you all the things that are frustrating in my life. I entrust to you my desire to impress people with myself. I, I entrust to you even just who I am at the deepest levels. The way that we can submit and release those things to God is because we can trust him, because he submitted himself to us. Paul talked about this in the passage earlier that we looked at last week, that Jesus gave himself up as a ransom, as a payment. That is to say that he submitted himself, he served, he laid down his own rights, he, he submitted and lowered himself. When we, when we see that, we know, man, if a God would do that for me, if he would submit himself to me to the point of death on the cross, his body being broken, his, his blood being shed, if, if he would submit himself to me to serve me in that way, to save me and bring me into his family and forgive me of my sin and, and make me, if he would submit to me, man, I can trust him. I can trust him with every part of my life, the frustrating things, my appearance, and even, even my very my very DNA. So this is what we remember when we take communion, the God who has submitted and served us like this. So we pray with me and then we will sing songs, take communion in response to our good God. Father, I thank you that you are good, that you love us, that you have shown us that you are a God that can be trusted. You've shown us that you are a trustworthy and we can submit our hearts and our lives to you in every way. I pray that as we sing, we take communion, that you would uh, just let these truths go even deeper into our hearts. In your name, amen.